Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% marginal gains that society has become obsessed with and instead focus on the other 99%. Throughout the series we will discuss all things self-actualization and becoming the best possible version of yourself. I'm your co-host Tom Osmond as always joined by George Cook. How are you doing George? Yeah all right now uh, it's been a bit of a mission today hasn't it? Yeah it's only taken us what 35 minutes to start this recording? Yeah fantastic. <laughs> perfect yeah but you know that's the first technical issue we've had since the very early days of starting this podcast so on the whole i think we're still winning yeah we've just got it all in one instead of spread out yeah um how have you been you've been in the wars a bit haven't you yeah i'll be honest it's not been the best week for me i have well i saw the physio today and done something to a joint pulled a couple of muscles in my back uh, was the best bet that they could kind of give me at this stage. Um, ultimately, I've spent the last three days lying flat on my back with a hot water bottle. So yeah, it's not been it's not been amazing, I'll be honest. But um, yeah, I think it's just one of those things, unfortunately. Yeah, and squats are back in the bad books, aren't they? Yeah, squats are bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I actually wasn't um, squatting at the time of making it bad, which is what's annoying. No, we just think that was the first inciting event, don't we? Yeah, I think so. Um, but it took about six days for it to get really bad. I suppose the major inciting event was doing my um, my CPR training. That's what really seems to have set me off. So, oh, really? Um, well, now I know how to, or I've been reminded how to save a life, but I'm in no physical condition <laughs> to do it. So, um, yeah, you can have one or the other. <laughs> but conveniently, it's half term, so... Well, arguably, it's inconvenient because the whole week of holiday is disappearing. Yeah. yeah, lying flat. I've watched a lot of TV, though, which has been, uh, I've caught up on some things. Yeah, you said you're watching, a lot of people are talking about this at the moment. The new season of You is out, isn't it? Yeah, I have only just started the new season because I was a whole season behind it. But I think given that the premise of the show is quite basic, they've done really well to keep it quite fresh. So... Um, if you're over 18, so I think it is an 18, watch you. Nice. Yeah. Um, How's your way been? You've been training lots, haven't you? Yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been training quite a bit, to be fair. Um, Bastard. Yeah. Well, obviously, running's really bad for your knees, so I had a bit of, <laughs> bit of ITB syndrome. But I think I'm over the worst of that. So I've built up to um, doing some like longer intervals now, and hopefully I'll do like some continuous steady running towards the end of this week um and it's also been three months since i had my eye operation so i can go back to playing rugby so i think i'm gonna go and train tonight nice i can't believe that's been three months already yeah although somebody mentioned earlier it's been nearly three years since the first lockdown has it yeah i still think of that like it was last year yeah like march 2020 or something wasn't it yeah yeah coming up on three years of that that's three years next month mental um yeah, time is flying by. So today's topic is all about leadership. Yeah. Um, the the book I suggested, I actually hated, so I've not read it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you hated it so much. I found it quite quite a good one. I just found it a bit, um, what's the word? Like not very direct or to the point, and I just lost my patience. Yeah, with it. I think it it could have been a little bit more concise. So hopefully our 
summation of what's in that plus a few other bits that we've been looking at are, are a bit helpful. I find with a lot of these books about leadership or strategy or you know productivity, if you read the whole book, at some point they end up just talking about them and their business, and it becomes very untranslatable into any other environment than the one that they wrote it in. Yeah, it's really interesting, but I find that most domains are like that like the language they use not a lot of people can get on board with yeah um that's why i really like people like simon sinex i think he does a really good job of putting complicated things into really simple terms and making it digestible for everyone yeah um is it his meditation app that you've been doing no that guy is probably the opposite of what i just described um (laughs) (laughs) i've forgotten his name now his app's called sam harris waking up sam harris that's it yeah, he's obviously a very intelligent bloke, but I don't follow half of what he says. Yeah, I think that's why I enjoyed this leadership book, because the one I read before was by Kim Scott, who was CEO at Facebook and Twitter and what have you, and just super high-flying. And she wrote Radical Candor. And I think there's a lot that you can take from leadership from these two books as well. But the way she writes is is very difficult to digest, so it just takes ages to get through. Yeah, and you have to end up reading every sentence twice to actually understand it and take it on board. Yeah, but I think that, yeah, I, I did enjoy this. And he's an interesting bloke. The The book is called Learning to Lead by Ron Williams. And he was quite unusual as, or his rise to leadership was quite unusual in that he was a black male from an unusual background for business in that he didn't grow up with money he didn't go to a private school he didn't go to private university and the way he describes the industry at the time is that there was a kind of almost like a cookie cutter version of people who ended up in leadership all boardrooms were kind of white males with the same haircut who'd all been to private school um so his presence there was quite unusual and his way of doing things as a result of that was quite different yeah um But I thought I'd actually start with what leadership is, because I don't I don't know that he actually answered that question. He spoke about learning to lead, but I don't think he ever offered what the destination might look like. Um, So it's defined as the act of leading a group of people or organisation. And I think that the group of people bit is where we want to focus because we become very kind of obsessed with titles or um, salaries or job roles to be a leader so unless you are you have manager or supervisor or something in your job title or your job description it's like oh I'm, I'm not a leader but that's not what it is you can most people are not CEOs or company owners they are people who are employed but you can still be a leader within your own kind of context yeah and well the company that I before I moved to City, the company that I worked with before, the English Institute of Sport, they were always very big on leadership is not a position, it's a choice. And that, yeah. that was always the message that they tried to hammer home, like everyone's in a position where they can um, be a leader. Or we, we broke leadership down into essentially um, small actions that try and like influence people in the right direction. That's kind of how we visualise leadership. Absolutely. And I think it's... Um... It can be conscious and unconscious, can't it? When we lead by example, sometimes that can be unconscious leadership. Um, I like to think that sort of in my time in different places I've worked, I've, I've had a positive influence over people, kind of engaging them in new activities um, or structuring ones that are already present or already happening, etc. Um, so that, that can be kind of 
a version of leadership without necessarily thinking oh i am leading the pack here you're just yeah having those little like micro interactions with people to help steer them in a better direction yeah um which i thought was a good way to have a quick bash at social media nice and early because i feel like i haven't done that for a while um just having a big following on social media doesn't make you a leader you know some of the people that have followings um i think james smith is really good at doing this just calling people out on the rubbish that they put out there that's not it's not leadership it's kind of just self-promotion um and saying things for your own gain not for the benefit of the other people around you or the institution you're working for etc so that's very narcissistic in its nature whereas leadership is in my opinion quite selfless yeah it's yeah it's a good point i, I was listening to um I, I was thinking about that in my head before we started this because yeah leadership is essentially you're doing it for the best of others not for yourself yeah and i think to be a really good leader is so hard for that reason because a lot of people aren't that selfless by nature yeah i think if if it's your company i know i said that not all leaders are owners of companies but i'm trying to think of an example where that would be true where the benefit of others directly benefits you yeah would would be if you were the owner i suppose uh, or if you were the team manager but yeah i think i mean it's joey and friends isn't it he says there's no such thing as a a truly selfless act um wise words of joe tribbiani but there are, I guess, different scenarios where that can be true, and hopefully we start to unpick a few of those today. Yeah. Um, I was listening to this clip that Simon Sinek was talking about leadership, and he was comparing the business world to the military, and he spoke about the military being brothers and sisters and a family, whereas in business it's your manager or your supervisor yeah or, or the ceo um yeah he, he was basically comparing and contrasting the two because in the business world i think and i've got no idea what happens in the business world because i've worked in sport my whole life but <laughs> he, he's thinking about people go will go on a leadership course do a weekend course and then they're deemed a leader because they've done their weekend course but leadership isn't like that at all and it's what we just spoke about then like the small actions over a really long period of time that guide people in the right direction like that's leadership and it doesn't happen overnight um but yeah he was just comparing the military to the business world and how yeah. the military get it so much more right i think uh so i actually went on a a course not about leadership but the the bloke did kind of touch on it a little bit and he he contrasted and compared leaders and managers and managers are employed to make known processes better or more efficient so they are just there to improve what already exists, whereas leaders are there to inspire and to progress and to develop. So we, we look to take it one step further than what already exists, whereas managers are just about the efficiency of like current systems. Mm. Um, so you can be a good manager without being a leader, but if you hold a leadership position, I think it's worth having that self-awareness and just checking in because you might actually just be managing where you think you're leading. Yeah that's what ron spoke about in the first chapter wasn't it? it was learning to lead yourself before you lead others yeah which is about uh, as far as i got in the book so <laughs> i took uh, napoleon's definition from the same chapter which was to define the current reality and to provide hope for the future um which i thought was quite a nice way of leading like this is 
where we are right now and this is where we're hoping to get to and then we start thinking about how we're going to get there but the, the leader's job is to create vision yeah um but anyway you started talking about career step advice and i always think these are quite funny because we spoke about james smith's book where it was a great book the not a life coach but in the final third of it he just talks about quitting your job and going traveling well not everybody wants to do that and it's not really practical for everybody um but i find that some of the reading we've done they make all these recommendations but they are not realistic or transferable across different like cross sections of society but this one was quite good so you need to reject stereotype stereotypical thinking um, break out of your comfort zone take a calculated risk pick jobs with quantifiable results keep your future options open exceed your job description and be patient and i i can't really think of any person that those ideals don't fit yeah and i've I found some of those have definitely played true in my life. Like I see it all the time. People that go above and beyond their job description are normally the ones that get promoted quicker and move on to bigger and better things. Yeah, so that, sure. that one really hit home for me. I mean, it's not... I think there's a bit of a difference, isn't there? Because I think since um, we mentioned the COVID stuff at the start, and it's been three years, but since then, when we had our, our work in our living rooms, I do feel that there's been an increase in what's expected of people when they go home, that there's less... Yeah like okay you've left the office now you can't do anything until you come back in in the morning because obviously we all have our our emails and whatever on our phone don't we so we're kind of always connected but at the same time you don't want to be one of those people that kind of works to rule and says well i finished work at five so don't expect to hear from me until like nine o'clock tomorrow morning morning. um yeah so i i do think you're right and it sets uh that's again it's an opportunity to lead by example and lead from the front isn't it i'm not saying that if you're the person who's in charge you have to arrive first and leave last because you know work smarter not harder but being able to rely on people around you or inspire people to want to work around you and want to work more that's a key characteristic of a leader as well i think yeah that was something else i was talking about the other day because i i think it's easier when you are self-employed to work longer hours and be more motivated because it financially directly impacts you yeah i think it's like that if you're not working you're not earning yeah but i know when i've done self-employed work i've always found it easier to work longer hours than being in a full-time salary yeah have you done any self-employed work you do a little bit don't you yeah, I did. I did the, um, I worked for Amplify for two and a half years, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, d- I don't know if you found that the same or. Yeah, I don't think I ever thought of the money as a huge motivator. Um, I think I enjoyed the work, but then when I got up at the end of finishing, like working throughout the night or whatever, um, and I realised how much I'd earned in that period of time, that felt pretty good. Yeah. So if ever I was unmotivated to start, that would probably get me going, mm. um, which was good. Um, but the you spoke about the art of reframing and that it's not just all about finance and that just because you're rich doesn't mean you're a leader or should be respected as one. And just because you don't have as much money or as big a salary, um, you can't lead from the front. Um, and the aim of every person should be to leave behind more than you take away and if we all had that attitude then 
every environment that we work in and interact in would ultimately become better mm. um, which i thought was brilliant and then when you first come into this opportunity where you are leading or you know you're expected to lead or you want to be leading um like start with minor miracles you know don't try and reinvent the wheel on your first day so mentoring is like a real important one so take time to get to know the people around you i think that's something that i've definitely found in the past where people higher up in the chain haven't known my name versus um one of the things i really enjoy where i'm working now is that that's not the case at all where you can have a proper conversation about each other's interests and i feel like there's a genuine link there and in terms of when that person asks you to do something, I think uh, personally, sound, sounds a bit cocky maybe, I'm one of those people that likes to go above and beyond anyway, but I certainly feel better about going above and beyond when the person is, when there's a personal connection. Yeah. Like if a friend asks you to do something, you're more likely to to do a bit more, aren't you? Yeah, than if it was someone random or, yeah. yeah. It's the same for if you like someone or don't like them, you're obviously a lot more likely to do something for someone you like. Yeah, I think I phrased that terribly, but I think it kind of came across there. Yeah, yeah, it came across. Yeah, so the, he, he spoke about swimming and linking leadership to being like swimming, that nobody, when they first get into that position where they're expected to lead, can do it perfectly, and that it's different in every single environment. But if you, you use the analogy of swimming, if you constantly get out of the water, you never learn to swim. So putting yourself in those positions, whether it's just like a, a small team project, or if you're a student, like a, a group project where you take charge of leading that team, um, maybe trying to deliver, I don't know, a sales target or something like that, depending on your industry, like just putting your toe in the water a little bit before you then go and take on this, this new massive role gives you the opportunity to um, like develop a skill set. Yeah. And then it reminds me um, of getting out of your comfort zone that one, which a lot of people like the yeah. only way to develop is to keep putting yourself outside your comfort zone. It's difficult, isn't it? Um, and then the next one, I, I've definitely been guilty of not doing this, but it was assume positive intent. So, yeah, I struggle with that. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes <laughs> someone starts speaking or someone says something to you and you're like, oh, for God's sake, like just shut up. Yeah. Um, but actually, if you assume that everybody is coming at it from a positive standpoint, trying to make the environment uh, or the team better, um, you actually open your mind to what they're saying as opposed to closing off as soon as that person starts talking yeah um yeah and then like the the type of language that people use and we spoke about this in one of our mental health episodes instead of saying why like if someone makes an idea and you say oh, why have you said that you can you can reframe it to kind of encourage more conversation so if you told me an idea and i didn't understand it instead of saying why have you suggested that i can say can you explain to me how you've come to that conclusion or can you explain to me how I might be able to help you with that idea? So it, it kind of reinforces that your idea was good and that the listener, the leader is interested in hearing about your process as well. Yeah. And uh, then when we spoke about that before, it makes it less personal, doesn't it? Like, why are you doing that? Yeah. 
yeah for sure whereas when you ask them you know can you explain it to me it's not it's not creating this this hierarchy and it talks about um kind of subliminal or subtle language cues that we use that creates this hierarchy with it even within a simple conversation it's like why have you said that it it implies that the person asking the question is dominant in that conversation whereas if you ask them to explain it to you you're coming at it from equals mm. like equal perspective um and this one uh i actually thought was uh, a bit of a basic one but then perhaps it's not depending on what books you read or the environment that you're in but obviously working in education we are very aware of uh things like pronouns nowadays and inclusive language um it's filtered into the curriculum it's in our day-to-day -day. so to use um terms like right guys or right gentlemen if you've got females in that group or non-binary people in that group you are subconsciously showing them that you don't value them as much so i personally don't use those terms now i just use team i'll always greet i'll be like morning team to a, a group of people I, I try and stay away from saying guys um or anything like that so that's my little hack for being inclusive with my language now if you don't like team that's fine but at least you can't feel excluded because i haven't identified with your your group i suppose yeah with, with one of the coaches were chatting about that at work the other day because um he said something to one of the girls like on the, one of the girls made a comment which was something along the lines of um my partner like whatever i can't remember what they were doing and then he he made the assumption of oh so what does your fella do yeah and um her partner's a female so he obviously didn't know that but everyone makes the assumption that you're with someone of the opposite sex but there's so many things like that ha that happen every day like man on in football is quite big yeah obviously in female football it's not man on but that there's no other alternative for that right. moment so that yeah but they still say man on at the moment and like you said guys like a, a lot of coaches go to is guys come in and you're working with a bunch of females so it's, it's a really interesting point and i don't think it's always easy to get that right particularly in a female team sport yeah for sure i think with partners and things like that because if we want to lead and we want to be good leaders we do need to show a genuine interest in the people around us and it's not to say that you need to be best mates and go to the pub with these people because i do think that keeping some level of distinction between managers and the managed or the leaders and the led is important um so you know you want to know about them but not too much i suppose um but to say oh what do they do instead of what does your fella do is not a difficult switch yeah, yeah. you know that it might take a bit of time to get used to but it's not asking you to kind of rewrite your own value system depending on you know where you stand on on that topic of discussion but yeah it, it's quite an easy win i think to make people feel included yeah um yeah um the next thing that i i think i've always subliminally known but haven't necessarily ever seen put into words was that people and or his research suggests that people are more likely to rise to a challenge um to meet expectations than they are to meet demands so if you're told to do something you're less likely to aspire to it and go beyond than if you're given a challenge to work towards 
Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so, if, so if it's something like go and do this versus do you think you can? Yeah. Or we're looking to achieve this. Can you think of a way to do that? Yeah. And can you implement it? You know, the the way that we phrase things. And I think in education, that's that's really obvious because that's helping develop a growth mindset. And it's something that we would tend to do on a day-to-day basis. But actually, I don't think I've ever seen it, yeah, being given a, a name or a, a phrase. Um, but it's about bringing people into like a shared idea so that when we're setting a challenge, like everyone feels like they've had an input into how we're going to achieve something as opposed to just being told this is what you do because that doesn't engage your brain, it doesn't engage your passion, you don't feel invested in what's going on. Whereas if you help people feel part of the journey, then they're emotionally invested as well as just, you know, the job in inverted commas. Yeah, and all of that ties back into what you were talking about at the start of sharing your vision and getting people to buy into that and come along the journey with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then with with that, um, it was the founder of Toyota who was uh, spoke about the five whys. So we've mentioned this before, haven't we? So why do you think that's why? Yeah, and when you get when you get to the end. Um, you have that but the uh, the the thinking was that in leadership that can be or that can be quite useful on a one-to-one or individual basis to to help ascertain values it's not necessarily conducive to brainstorming so if you have an idea in the business room or in a workplace of any description and somebody says why you are then only answering a question based on your original thought so Mm. it's it actually limits people's thinking Right. So without meaning to, we've stopped the person having any more ideas because we're asking them to only focus on the previous perspective that they offered. So um, yeah, they're getting to the root cause of that one thing instead of thinking more expansively. Exactly that. So I, I liked it in relation to the subtle art um, that was, you know, what if I'm wrong? And this, you know, the other phrasing of it was, you know, can you explain how you reach this conclusion or conclusion or you help me understand? And it, it encourages people to think about it from a different way, because particularly in bigger organisations where it's not possible to have everybody involved in every decision, there needs to be an element of, of top down leadership and direction that's given. It helps I suppose those leaders making those decisions with the people around them to understand how others might view their opinion because just because you think it doesn't mean that it's actually a great idea Mm -hmm. so managing up or leading up and leading down was quite important that you don't just take your own word as gospel but you need to be able to lead the people that are above you but also below you yeah, yeah. And I, I guess most people's tendency is to think that their ideas are the best ones. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm actually quite fortunate in that my ideas are the best ones. <laughs> so, um, but I can see how other people might struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm actually just the most intelligent person in the room, so I must just do what I say. Yeah. <laughs> how to be I'm a actually... good leader. <laughs> um, and then I I enjoyed what what kind of came from that in terms of making people feel empowered about decision making was that. He spoke about going full throttle at what really matters. So once you've ascertained as a group what really matters, you need to you need to go full gas at it. 
And again, that link to the subtle art that if it's not worth doing well, it's not worth doing at all. So leaders help people uh, identify the most important things to them and to the business and to the goal and then just go full on because if um if we don't we can waste a hell of a lot of time and hell of a lot of man hours on just inane rubbish yeah and that actually one of my favorite books is essentialism where he essentially has a whole book describing what you just did but if you if you focus your energy in lots of different areas, you spread yourself quite thin and don't do anything well. But if you identify the one thing that's really important and do that really, really well, then you'll actually have an impact. Yeah, for sure. Um, conflict avoidance. I think this is quite an interesting one. I I personally don't mind having difficult conversations with people. Um, it's not something I relish but I don't mind doing it because I understand that it's part of a process. But when in a group setting, this was an interesting, because this isn't something I've had to really do where you've had a group that are trying to tackle an issue and the conversation goes off in a different way or people have had issues with each other and the conversation starts to be like, yeah, but six months ago you said, um, you know, we start spiralling. And he said a phrase um, was... I think we're avoiding avoiding an important issue here and I would like to tackle it now rather than waiting for it to come back up later. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it is really non-confrontational and it does bring the issue at hand back to the forefront of the conversation. It, it mm. It's not saying, right, well, what you're talking about is rubbish and we need to ignore it. We need to talk about this. It's, I think we're avoiding a bigger issue. So again it makes people feel like it's their decision to bring the conversation back to where it needs to be yeah that that reminds me of a really famous quote as well which is i want to say is something like your impact or influence in a role can be directly correlated to the number of difficult conversations you're willing to have yeah that's it yeah it was tim ferris wasn't it is that tim ferris yeah your success is measured by the number of difficult conversations you've tried to have yeah, 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 that's the one. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I nearly nailed it, you nailed it. <laughs> but again, that's really true. It's probably something, definitely for the first three years of my career after uni, I avoided conflict at all costs because it is uncomfortable. Yeah, and it makes you feel like you you might be held back for promotions or something like that. I think there's a fear factor as well, mm. that if you're seen as the person who is rocking the boat, or trying to cause discord that actually it's going to count against you in the future whereas if you're doing it for the right reasons that's not the case but also it's doing it the right way you can't just walk into your your leader's office or whatever and go well that that was a stupid idea wasn't it and just walk out again you need to be (laughs) like you need that's very confrontational you need to find a non-confrontational and perhaps productive way um i'm going to butcher the quote but it's something like um complaining without a solution is just whining yeah um, if you can offer a solution as well, then brilliant. The other interesting thing with that is if you're trying to move things in a different direction because you think it's more optimal, more better or whatever, people hate change. So if you've got a team that's been there for quite a long time and you're trying to get them to, not get them to, to understand your vision and why you maybe want to do things slightly differently, but it requires them to do something different, then that's really uncomfortable for them. And it might be more work and a bit harder. 
so yeah change getting people to change and influence people is probably one of the hardest things to do in a, yeah, getting people to want to change isn't it making yeah. them making them see this vision and feel part of it instead of just being told that the goalposts have shifted and they need to do something else now yeah and i think probably at some point there will be times where even though you've brought people into the vision and you're leading in all the right ways you know they just don't want to buy into it and that's fine and that probably is a you know a point where it's a different set of leadership skills and you're looking at letting people go at that point yeah um it was actually something I have been, it was a very, very strange situation. I, w- I won't use any names or, or company names, but I was involved in a conversation where somebody was let go. And I, I honestly don't know why I was in the room when it was happening. It was online anyway. Um, but that was particularly difficult because the person had been given a lot of opportunities to buy in and to change their behavior. And they just really didn't want to. And how they were just didn't fit with the company at all. And it it was such a bizarre situation for somebody at, at my level at the time to be witnessing but uh, at the same time it was very very eye-opening yeah and well i think there's a big emphasis now on a longer recruitment process and making sure you're getting the right people through the door isn't there but i've, I've never been in i've been on a few panels but i've never been in a position where i have to recruit people but yeah. from looking at the teams i've worked with they seem to be taking a lot longer to try and make sure they get the right people in now but that's it isn't it and this was from kim scott's book about getting the right people in and what does that mean because a lot of the time when we look at getting the right people in what we mean is people that we think will fit with our own vision and ideals and there's so much research that homogenous work groups and homogenous leadership groups are less productive than yeah and and silo effects yeah so we need people that are different to ourselves in order to make everything better we can't just have you know, the old stereotype of a, a, a finance company's boardroom was just middle-aged or to yeah. old white men because they will only ever think in one way. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've diverged a little bit there, haven't we? But in terms of as a leader, when you're in that position and you need to think about who you're hiring and, and why you're hiring them, you know, seek outside counsel because yeah. you might not have the best view of that because you, you do see things through your own lens. Yeah, and you'll probably just hire someone that's got the same strengths and weaknesses as you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, I was looking at the um, the bit about public speaking um, and that leaders need to be able to deliver messages to groups. You know, there's only so many or so much that can be conveyed via an email or, or something like that, but having that face-to-face um, element or string to your bow I think is really important because if you can't communicate your vision then how can you expect anybody to buy into it yeah um but he he said that if you write down your speech two to three weeks before you need it and then you've got the opportunity to um to change and and to edit it and and do all sorts of things whereas if you if you write it kind of the day before or you don't have anything in front of you, you can end up just, I don't know, spitballing and just chatting utter nonsense that kind of dilutes the message that you really wanted to give in the first place. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done anything that far in advance. (laughs) Have you? Always. Two to three weeks in advance? Always, yeah. Um, Unless unless obviously you're in a situation where someone gives you 
a shorter deadline than that. But yeah. given the opportunity, I would always do things a long time in advance because then I can go back and look at it again and your opinion changes over time. Um, particularly if I have to speak about something and mm. I don't just mean in a classroom, I mean if I were to deliver a lecture or a topic uh, that I, I wasn't doing kind of day to day, I would want to give that a couple of weeks and it sort of kind of beds into your mind and you think about it quite a bit subconsciously as well so that when you stand up there you're not you're not looking down at your piece of paper because the ability to stand tall and stand confidently and speak with your head up is I think maybe it's a bit old-fashioned but for me I think the way that a person stands and delivers content changes the way that it's heard as well whether it's a good message or a bad message if it's delivered really well then it can it can alter how it's perceived by everyone listening yeah we've spoken about that before most communication is non-verbal yeah yeah um so is it jordan peace and stand stand tall with your shoulders back yeah rule number one rule number one um so there's a, a little summary about how you can kind of lead yourself or, or lead others and it was quite translatable again it wasn't something that you you need to work in a certain industry to be able to apply this so it was the ability to reframe pro problems and dilemmas which i think is brilliant because a problem remains a problem if you keep looking at it from the same the same way um discovering the facts behind a challenge so when we're looking to problem solve we need to understand exactly what the problem is and if we don't have all the facts then how can we possibly do that um, i'm gonna i'm gonna butcher another really good quote here go on then the quality of the solution is only like as good as you define the problem. If that makes sense. To quote something like that. I think I think it does make sense. But you're right. You have butchered yeah. it. <laughs> yes. But if you can really clearly define the problem. Yeah. Then you're as opposed to me not being able to clearly articulate the quote, then you, you'll you'll have a better quality outcome or solution. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Um recruiting so a talented team that are able to do their best work so not necessarily what you perceive to be the best work um develop innovative strategies and the ability to communicate clearly and that's with people above you and with people below you and i think there is an element of uh difficulty with that and there's another quote it's my turn to butcher one um we're about, butchering I, a lot of quotes yeah. this episode um I judge a person on how in a, how they treat the waiter in a restaurant, not how they treat me, because if I was the waiter, they'd treat me the same way. So just because people are below you or get paid less than you or are lower in a, a company hierarchy doesn't give people the, the right to, to talk down. And if you want people to follow and you want to lead them, you you cannot be the type of person that's very condescending um, or rude or brash with people because they simply won't want to work for you and they won't want to go above and beyond and and then it's it stunts leadership within those teams as well i think i actually read this part of the book i might have read more than i thought because didn't he speak about this when he moved to a different job which was a lot smaller and he had to talk to people above and below him instead of just on the same level yeah 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 so i yeah the higher up you go the more jargon and like nonsense they talk it's probably not nonsense but it sounds like nonsense to anyone else and then the lower down you go the more i guess plain english people speak so you, you yeah. need to be able to speak in appropriate language to 
whatever level that that person is at. Yeah, for sure. Because if you, um, yeah, I guess if you you could walk up to one person and say, well, that is rubbish, and I'm using the word rubbish, but you can infer um, other terms that might be used in in that kind of scenario. Whereas if you said that to someone who's two places above you in the hierarchy, well, they're not going to respond very well to that. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, absolutely, putting it, being adaptable, I guess, as a leader. But I, I think strength and conditioning and physios are so guilty of this. And there's so many unnecessarily complex words. Um, I'll try and think of an example. Like a biarticular muscle. It's just a muscle that crosses two joints. Do you know what I mean? Like being able to, like that that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Just we almost use it to show, I think some people are guilty of using terms like that in an area where they know other people won't understand it because it makes them appear superior in some sort of way. Yeah, or they want to feel like they're intelligent. and. Yeah, but again, yeah. that's not leadership. That's, I don't know, it's just kind of the squashing of creativity, isn't it? It makes people feel a bit small. Yeah. Um. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, and then something else I, I, I took from this book was that you need to respond positively to bad news. And I don't mean that if someone tells you that, I don't know, they just tanked a sale and it's lost the company loads of money that you need to promote them and be really happy about it. But if someone gives you bad news and you react badly and you're throwing stuff and shouting and yelling, then the next time they need to give you bad news, they're less likely to actually tell you because they want to avoid that interaction. So the way, um, the way in which you react to negative news or bad things happening is really important. And actually I think that can reframe your, then your next decision after it. So I remember when I was working at my, my first, school somebody read a book on reframing bad news and bad incidents and it started with you know things from like dropping your phone and smashing the screen to like stubbing your toe um i don't know spilling water over your keyboard and stuff like that and for for about six months we we tried this thing where every time something bad happened we had to celebrate like actually physically celebrate so if you if you dropped your lunch all over the floor you had to like put your arms in the air and be like yes like fantastic and and people look at you so weirdly because you've just stubbed your toe and then you're cheering about the fact that you stubbed your toe whatever it is but because you're celebrating the response in your brain it becomes confused because like well hang on we should be angry here but i'm celebrating so it releases like a a different hormone because you're not actually annoyed you're not angry there's the anger doesn't last because you're you're switching the way that it's perceived in the brain yeah we spoke about that on the meditation podcast we did and could the physiology can be really similar between different emotions i'm not so convinced on the pain one but we spoke about anxiety quite a bit yeah and the physiological response between um sorry the physiological response is pretty much the same between anxiety and excitement so if you reframe your anxiety as excitement, yeah. then like you said, your perception is completely different. Yeah. Speaking of um, perception and, and I don't know, following through on what you say, when you mentioned the meditation, I've, I've tried to use some of the stuff that we spoke about in previous episodes, some of the stuff that Belinda gave us last week to help manage the pain that I've been in over the last few days. And it's got absolutely nothing to do with leadership other than following through on what you say you're going to do but I have found it really quite helpful. 
to to give it a go. And I think this is just a reminder of the um, the importance of keeping an open mind to different things. Mm. Um, yeah, which I, I sort of have enjoyed doing that. And this art of reframing, whether you're leading uh, or not, you have the opportunity to lead. Um, and what I mean by that is leading without a title. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's opportunities as well within places to look at and I'm sure we can all picture what a bad leader looks like whether it's uh, a captain of a sports team or someone in business or in education or finance or whatever it is we know what a bad leader looks like now I think we can discount or be forgiven for discounting their opinion or, or what they do when we're in that situation but actually you can learn as much from a poor leader as you can from a good leader because they teach you what what not to do and how you would do things differently in the future yeah so keeping that that open mind with somebody that you don't think is a good leader um can be really helpful as well well i think the other thing i picture which i really struggle with on some days is i think good leaders are really consistent with their behaviors yeah so the the guy that i work for at the moment our head of snc i think he's a really really good leader and he's always quite positive yeah. that doesn't matter what's going on outside of his life he could have God knows what's going on at home, but you would never be able to tell from what it's like at work. So we'll turn up and be really consistent. It's the same positive person as each day. Yeah, I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's quite different to um, what Ron Williams was writing about, about knowing people and understanding people. Because you're saying you wouldn't know kind of what was going on in his life. But I guess if you want to lead, you need to know a little bit. But at the same yeah, time, it's amazing to... that it doesn't impact his quality of work yeah you need to be authentic yeah um but yes it's an interesting one i remember having this conversation a while ago because it's almost like this dichotomy between being really authentic but then not letting emotion affect your work yeah because you, you need both like if sometimes it's good like if you're going through a really hard time to share that with people because it shows you're human um versus just being this robot that's got like no emotion and yeah yeah, but being able to say, look, I'm actually really struggling with this. Um, I've just gone through a breakup or, I don't know, house prices are ridiculous and we're struggling a lot financially at the moment. There's a difference between letting people know that and letting people in versus behaving badly or differently in your role because of yeah. those things. Yeah. And it also, I guess, you know, nobody is perfect. And at some point, I guess we all, you know, flip out a little bit and get a bit annoyed at something that perhaps we didn't really need to or um, we brush somebody off in a way that is unusual but if people understand us as leaders and I, I say that because everyone can be a leader then they come they view it from a position of understanding as opposed you know they know it's not personal yeah which you know can make a real difference in terms of keeping people on board if you're having a really difficult time and you're rude to everyone in a day you know, it's the same as bad news, isn't it? They're not going to want to come and talk to you and you start to lose those communication kind of lines. Yeah. And also, if you're really self-aware, if you are going through hard things, it can um, almost reveals your true character and helps you understand yourself better. Yeah, for sure. And I don't, yeah, I think as a leader, you need to understand how you work really, really well so that you know where your strengths lie within that group as well. So if you know that you have a weakness in an area, 
as a leader, you're not going to try and dominate that space or or take charge of that space, but you're going to look to delegate in in that kind of scenario. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're going to talk about the self awareness element uh, in our our half century birthday next next episode, aren't we? But it's not easy self awareness. No, uh, I, yeah, it's something that I still battle with, but it, it's been like a. I think I got to 21 with zero self-awareness and never really paid attention to any of my emotions or anything like that until 21, 22. Fortunately, yeah, well, I was there to point out your flaws on the daily for you. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually perfect. So that was an easy job for you. Oh, amazing. As um, you can see, I'm still very self-aware. Um, I think we've covered quite a bit about leadership there in terms of the type of person that it takes to be a leader. I don't think this is the exact topic where you can give a a step-by-step guide. This isn't a training plan. Um, this isn't nutrition advice where there are facts and figures that can support claims. Where, where this topic opens itself up as it, it talks about the personality and character traits that people have so for me it's about being open-minded all the time even when you don't want to be um, being prepared to be the hardest worker in the room and to show it as well I don't think there's anything more frustrating than being led by someone who you think doesn't do that much even if they are if you can't see it or you don't know it it can have an impact on you equally don't go the other way and just spend your whole time telling everyone how busy you are and and how much you do because that's just as annoying so um you know don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and and do a bit of work with everybody else um to demonstrate that example um steer into conflict don't avoid conflict but do it in a really non-confrontational way and certainly that's something that i think i could definitely be better at in like outside of work you know, when I get challenged on things outside of work, sometimes I I can be quite defensive about it, thinking that I already know best. Um, but to be non-confrontational and to try and understand a little bit better is a really valuable quality. Um, and then to care deeply about the people that are around you. If you don't care about them and you're not invested in them, you can't expect them to invest in you and the vision that you're trying to create. And you're leading for the wrong reasons. That was a really, really good summary of, um, I think, the key points of a good leader. Yeah. Um, thanks. Oh, you're welcome. But I don't in. often give compliments, so treasure <laughs> that one. I've got it on recording as well, so I can play it on repeat. It's not sad. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that, that's really good. I think we've covered a lot of leadership there. Is there anything else you had on your notes to share yeah. with our viewers? Not on this one, just to, to keep, um, I know I bash social media at the start, but keep keep enjoying our social media page. We're going to keep updating that with little snippets from episodes, um, different bits of information, and then just keep an eye out again next week for our episode. It is episode 50. Uh, we've hit the half century, um, so we've got something good for you coming up there as well. So hope you enjoyed this one, but make sure you tune in next week as well. Oh, and like our episode on Spotify, it helps the the algorithms and, and the whatever and, and help spread the word a little bit better. So thank you to those that already have. Um, but yeah, keep, keep following and keep liking it. Thanks everyone. And see you next week.